everyone, and welcome. This is episode 265 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, back again this week. Thank you for Steve for stepping in for me while I was out last week. And we got Ryan and Paul here. And uh, I guess uh, something we're not used to, we're going to talk happy Brewers things, happy Brewers trade. I suppose we are, huh? They, they kind of ripped somebody off, maybe. So uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, but first, how are you guys doing as we're heading into the holidays? Um, I shouldn't be doing this right now because I frankly have too much other stuff to do. But <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll make some time. I'm really worried about reporting as eligible and squeaking it in. I'm I don't like they're playing on Monday. Like I have time to record on Monday, and I was like, Matt, let's record Monday during the day because we're both working from home. And he was like, the game hasn't happened yet Monday during the day, Paul. You can't actually do that. Like, uh, <laughs> True. Good point. Good point. You are uh, correct about that. Yeah, best laid plans on that. Yeah, we'll I'm, get it done. I'm ready for uh, for the holidays at this point. I'm ready for this last uh, week before the holidays to be over. So <laughs> four days, four days. Always an interesting time. And, and we're doing this on Sunday morning, so Ryan might be a little bit distracted by the World Cup final happening. Right? <laughs> I mean, so far, so good. Argentina's up 2-0 at the uh, at the half here. So I guess did they get a non-penalty kick goal? Yes, they did. It was an absolutely right. beautiful goal. Yes. <laughs> good. And the, that pen was soft. It was soft, but it was also soft. it was very soft. It was soft, but it was also incredibly stupid by Dembele to make that challenge. So like I don't have a problem with it because you you can't be that stupid. You can't open that up that possibility that something like that's going to happen by doing something like that. So you kind of get what you deserve when you make a, a challenge that's just that foolish. I guess. I, I know nothing about soccer. I'm just <laughs> I am offended. I'm offended by the penalty kick rule just because it takes a very low scoring uh, percentage opportunity and converts it into an almost certain goal. And uh, it... In football, we often complain about the spot foul on pass interference, which is a massive penalty um, in, in its own rights. But this is like 10 times worse than that in terms of the effect it has on the game. So uh, just conceptually, I'm against the penalty kicks. They should do something different. Yeah, and the problem really with like penalty kicks to decide games is that, yes, it's stupid, and yes, it's it's so artificial. But the problem is the longer you go on, generally the harder and harder it is to score and to get a decisive goal in that situation because players are just tiring out. And I so think I'm actually more okay with PKs to end the game than I am with PKs generally. Like I would actually make a change to PKs in game more than I would to end the thing. Yeah, it's hard because if in the situation there are some where you go, this guy was clearly taken down with a definite scoring chance and yep. had a high probability, and you have no problem with that PK. And then there's some nonsense on the edge of the box, what like what happened here? Yeah, yeah, where it wasn't really a prime scoring chance, and a guy gets taken down, and you yeah. look at it and you go, okay, this is this is going to be a huge impact in this game. And it it is difficult, but Argentina completely and utterly dominated that first half. France didn't even get a shot at, at not just on goal, but period. France did not shoot the ball in the direction of the net at all. So, and Argentina was just peppering the goal. So it they did dominate the first half and deserve to come out with at least a one goal lead, if not multiple. So it, it's basically fine. I'm glad I'm all caught up now, and thanks everyone for listening to our World Cup podcast. <laughs> no, um, it, it's definitely 
it, it's always fun to get into the the World Cup, you know, every four years, as I tend to do. Uh, although this year, you know, there are obvious <laughs> things uh, detracting from enjoyment of of the tournament, but uh, always cool to see the final and, and see the the celebrations there. All right, let's talk some baseball stuff. But first, if you'd like to help support us, reminder, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That gets you the question and priority here on this podcast, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible podcast whenever that may happen this week. Five bucks a month gets you that question and priority, plus some exclusive podcasts, including the Minor League Extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire, as well as Paul's Packers mini pods. And James and I will be recording over the holiday break because we're going to be taking the week off, obviously, with Christmas being on Sunday. We're, we're taking next week off. But James and I will be recording an episode during that that week in between. So keep your uh, your eyes up for that. And especially patrons, keep an eye out for the question call when I put it out. Definitely uh, will be good to see that one. Are, are you still doing the Brewers draft draft or what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, we haven't firmed any of that up yet. We haven't discussed it, but it'll be something along those lines. And I think I know who my number one pick is now after looking back at some uh, past drafts this week for other reasons. So I think I, I have a good number one pick overall for that. So we'll see. I definitely appreciated the remember some guys episode of reporting as eligible last week. So <laughs> always fun. Oh, that uh, while I contribute a little bit to the writing of that one, Jr. is the best of remember some guys. Yeah, he, uh, he, he helps a lot there. So yes, those are funsies. I just seriously appreciated the musical cues, not just the the fish one, which was. Uh, a perfect, perfect uh, selection for that. But also the granddaddy one was uh, was very well done and well placed. So enjoyed both of those on the uh, on the tag on the end of it with your because uh, that was the mini pod yep. that you brought over. That was the mini pod, too. Yeah. If anybody would like a uh, more in-depth breakdown of what all of the um, football advanced metrics are and mean, uh, there's about a 20 minute segment on the end of the last reporting is eligible uh, that you can go listen to. And that's what that is. And it is capped by what Ryan just said music wise. It's also a part of the mini pod last week. So if you listen to that, same thing. But uh, we had we had to get that request pretty frequently. So I actually did it. Awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely good stuff all around. Definitely worth the listen. So go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, on the Brewers front, uh, they didn't get Sean Murphy like a couple of us were hoping for here, but uh, they snuck their way into that trade anyway, and they uh, <laughs> did end up uh, coming away with a different catcher, William Contreras, as well as relief pitchers Joel Pyamps and Justin Yeager as part of the deal. And all they had to give up was a prospect who we weren't crazy about anyway, in Asturi Ruiz. Uh, we kind of talked about some of his limitations as a prospect when they got him. Um, and that the Brewers promptly flipped him over to Oakland and came away with three players after only contributing one to the deal. So I think a lot of us were just kind of waiting to see who else the Brewers were contrib contributing to this trade, and it ended up only being one guy, uh, which you don't really see all that often in a three-way deal where one team's involvement is just shipping off one player. So uh, lots of questions about this, but... Um, let's just start with your guys' first reactions before we get to the Patreon questions. Paul, uh, 
how how did you uh react to the news and were you also kind of waiting to see who else the brewers had to yeah go? I went through all the same steps everybody else did i also expected there to be another shoe to drop later on and i know like i was speculating i think with you guys in our dm and with my other dm that i referenced on occasionally here as well and some other baseball people and everybody was like oh that can't be it like there's going to be somebody else ptbnl like some other minor per- but nope um and honestly when, when, when it was done like this is i think a fleecing and the, this is the kind of trade where i tweet out um you should call other bad general managers with regularity just to see what they'll give you um the other thing that this one really sounded like to me upon completion is there's a big section in Moneyball that is, I think, one of the forgotten sections about how Billy Bean used to work himself into other people's trades. I believe the White Sox are specifically mentioned in that section. Mm-hmm. If, if it's been a while. And that seemed like this. Like, the Brewers didn't really need to be in this trade. Uh, it was tangential to what actually occurred. And they they ended up being like getting the most out of it of anybody. It, it's really, really a... I don't know how you say it's anything other than than great for them. Even if it doesn't work out, it's great. They gave up like I don't think Estuary Reyes is particularly good or a great prospect. We can talk about why in a little bit, but it's a fleecing even if it doesn't work out for the Brewers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everything you said, and especially I was going to bring up that Moneyball thing too because that was something that immediately popped into my mind here. And so we know based on reports that were out there, and I'm sorry I can't cite them, but there were reports that. Oakland was running around telling everybody that they wanted Estuary Ruiz in this deal. And so basically they were inviting whoever they ended up trading with to loop the Brewers into this deal. And I get the feeling that like on one hand, Matt Arnold and and the Brewers uh, brain trust had to be like, well, thank you for just dropping this in us in our lap here. But what really, really stands out to me and what I came to realize over the coming days Basically, what happened here is you have three teams all agreeing that not only is Estuary Ruiz as valuable as William Contreras, he's actually more valuable than William Contreras. And I it, it befuddles me. I I'm a big I was a big fan of getting Ruiz. I thought it was a, a good get. I know James Anderson is a big fan of Ruiz generally. And so he was like that part of it was was fine. Like getting him as part of the the hater trade was a good idea. But how on earth is it that they all decided that he is somehow more valuable because it's the only conclusion you could draw by the fact that all three teams agreed that not only would it be okay for the Brewers just to give up Ruiz and to get uh, Contreras for him, but that to even out the deal, they were going to get two more relief pitchers in the deal. That's that's the part where you just, you go from wow to you're completely just floored and you can't understand how they they figured out the math on this and they're much smarter than like they have access to much better data than we do and they're much smarter at this stuff than we are but all three parties here had to have agreed because the brewers had to have pushed for additional return and the other two had to have said okay you get additional return in this case instead of those relievers just you know going to oakland instead of uh instead of going to the brewers so it the whole thing is just mystifying from that perspective that all these people decided that Estre Ruiz is so much more valuable than than basically anybody realizes. And I guess that's what happens when you're Oakland and you decide to target a guy. You sort of get 
you play your hand, right? You've, you've, you've exposed what you have. And so everybody can kind of see that you really, really want Ruiz and props to Matt Arnold for just saying, okay, if you want Ruiz that badly, okay, this is what it's going to be. You're and, and taking him to the cleaners for that much more because yeah. I don't think anybody, anybody in Brewer fandom would have. And I think in general, listening to, I've listened to so many podcasts that have analyzed this trade this week and everybody's reaction is, I don't know how the Brewers did this. I, I yeah. nobody understands up and down the the sabermetric uh, arena from everybody prospectus to Sheehan to like no, nobody likes what the the A's got in return and everybody loves what the Brewers did here mm-hmm. um and I had a few like rando fans uh, that either A's fans or Ruiz relatives but I don't know um like citing in my mentions just it's not like he's actually going to be really good the speed is going to be really valuable given the new rules on shifting and, and limitations on pitchers like uh is it though because it's not like we don't have a whole bunch of baseball history without shifting we do we know how valuable stolen bases are in that era we still know how important getting on base is in that era <laughs> and speed has a limitation like there's an upper limit on how valuable it can be it's not a coincidence that the best base dealers of all times uh, in terms of value added are like Ricky Henderson and Tim Raines, who are also awesome hitters. And uh, other than that, <laughs> like Scott Pesednik isn't that valuable a player when it's all said, <laughs> and, which maybe is what you're getting here because almost nobody hits the ball less hard than Estuary Ruiz, which is the big stat that everybody cited here. And mm-hmm. uh, in terms of projecting a guy to the majors, that's one that tends to, to, uh, to make its way into the majors. It's unlikely he's going to turn into even a doubles power guy. He's just really a slap hitter plus a great base dealer. That's not that good. Um, new baseball or old baseball, it's just not that useful a guy. Yeah, he, the majority of his contact is not hard contact. He is nope. in the bottom quartile, close to the bottom quintile of hard hit percentages in AAA. And that just, yeah, you you just, it really limits your ceiling. It does make it very hard for you to ever be a plus hitter when you're not hitting the ball that hard. Now, he does have some ability to, with that kind of bad ball profile, you'd think, okay, well, so he hits no home runs. No, he can actually hit some home runs, but it's more like when he gets balls that are kind of in a perfect spot for him and he can just turn and like lash the ball down the line, he will hit some home runs that way, like pure pull power down the line. But that has to be a very specific situation for him to even look to do that. So he's kind of spraying the ball around other than that. And maybe that is something that people are looking at and saying, okay, maybe we can coach that up. And maybe he actually, there is an ability to hit for more power in there within him. He just hasn't accessed it yet. And he did last year. uh, He made a huge leap in 2022. And that was based on swing decisions. Uh, they worked with him over the winter. The uh, the We've talked about this on the podcast before, but the Padres coaching staff worked with him last winter about making better swing decisions. And that sort of unlocked his big leap last year, but it didn't unlock a more consistent. You still didn't see him making consistent hard contact. So as good as as much as the progress he made, he still wasn't doing that. So until he fixes that, you would think the ceiling is pretty limited, but the A's just seem to really think he is everything. <laughs> and you, I, I don't get it. Nobody else does either. None of the prospect analysts that I've listened to has any idea what the A's were doing in this thing. I mean, they did get a lot of depth. They, they brought in a number of players. And I think that the A's have done this before with trades. 
where they have value depth over uh, over high end talent, and that's generally not the way that teams like to go. But the A's have generally been successful in turning around their that you know when the, when they're bad, they generally get things turned back around really fast. They've done that over and over again. I know Bean isn't there, but all of Bean's disciples are still there. Yeah. So. It is. It's really a head scratcher. This whole thing is just really bizarre. And you never, ever, ever would have thought that it was possible. I mean, when we were talking <laughs> about this in the group chat, it was, well, is Adamus going? And we're like, OK, that would <laughs> yeah, be a was. lot. That would be a lot like and everybody would agree that like that seemed like a lot, but it also didn't seem implausible. It didn't. Not with the amount of money that they might conceptually owe him in the near future. Like, it seemed like it might make sense. And then not even close. <laughs> yeah, no. And then it, it was just Ruiz. And that was the reaction of, and we say this as, like, people who are in Brewers Twitter and whatever. But that was the reaction going on. Joe Sheehan said it was just Ruiz. Like, I saw that tweet from him. Everybody was saying, how is it yeah. just Ruiz that the Brewers had to give up here to get yeah. what they got back? It just this made is... no sense. This is definitely one where we could be complete homers, but I think we're checked pretty well by everybody else. <laughs> we are, yeah. Uh, um, and we should also talk about how good Contreras is because um, they also did a really nice job getting a player who, uh, first of all, brings offense that they certainly need, but whose perceived deficiencies might not even be that deficient in the first place. Um, that that being his catching defense. And I had people, again, just Rube, same kind of people saying, well, there's some questions whether he might stick at catcher, but Judge jumped right on top of that immediately saying, you know, according to prospectus, prospectus metrics, he was actually pretty good. He was especially good at throwing out runners. He was like an average framer and an above average ball blocker. Like if they, uh, there's a good floor to work with if you're concerned about his defense. And the Brewers, of course, are, better than anyone at turning catchers into defensive superstars. So um, it, it's a guy whose perceived weaknesses aren't that bad. They're the kind that we can fix and have many times in the past. And while I would say his bat's not a sure thing, um, there is plenty in his minor league numbers to suggest that his performance from last year will stick long term. Plus, he's only 24 and under control just forever. Um, it, it's honestly hard to hard to put on paper like a better return than this for what they gave up. Uh, this is more than I imagined they would possibly get to this offseason for so little. Yeah, I want to talk about the bat here, but let's let's start with the questions because yeah. that's going to start leading into some of those things. So let's yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Let's not spoil all the questions. Yeah, so yeah. First, first one comes from Jay Google this week, of course, asking, how was Matt Arnold able to pull off some magic to get three players for Ruiz? And just how big of an impact can Contreras have on this lineup? So, Paul, you kind of alluded to this, but let's start with Ryan on, I guess, just the offensive aspect of this. And uh, as a side note, too, like like you guys mentioned, the, the team control is a significant factor. He's pre-arb, so basically this they severe or incredibly upgraded catcher without adding any money to the payroll. Right. Ryan? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that is huge in this whole thing too. They didn't really touch the payroll at all uh, in, in doing this. Uh, so, okay. Uh, to answer the first part of his question first, we already alluded to this a little bit, but basically I think this did somewhat fall into Matt Arnold's lap where uh, this opportunity came up and because the A's were apparently telling everybody they wanted Ruiz, right? That they they wanted Ruiz. So that meant that like Atlanta had to come to Milwaukee and go, hey, they really want Ruiz. So you need to be looped into this trade. Um, and so, okay, that's that's fine. And that's all well and good. But 
the fact that they did get three players out of it instead of just the one shows that they were still driving a hard bargain here. They were still yeah. doing something to sort of earn their pay. This wasn't just handed to them on a silver platter. They had to, to fight <laughs> for it and at least some level. But okay, to the second part of his question about the hitting, we were talking about how uh, Ruiz does not hit the ball hard. Uh, meet his like evil twin in in Wilson or Wilson. How many times are we going to do that? Yeah, so a million. And oh, real, we really have a quick. question about that. Yeah, too. Oh, I'll but save yeah. it for the question then. Yes. Yeah. Go, go ahead. So William Contreras uh, last year, seventy sixth percentile in average exit velocity, ninety seventh percentile in max exit velocity, eighty uh, fourth percentile in hard hit percentage, and eighty second percent in expected wOBA, which is a real important one because. He did have a really high batting average on balls in play last year. I think it was up over 400. Um, I'm not on the right page for that. Maybe you guys can. We're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, his barrel percent is over 90%. His expected slug is over the 90th percentile. All of those things really, really good. When he hits the ball, he hits it really hard. Obviously, there are some swing and miss issues here. Um, he was 13th percentile in strikeouts. He was 6th percentile in whiff percentage. So how often when you swing do you miss? So he was low on that. But one thing that I did find heartening looking at this was his chase rate. So how, how much he swings at pitches outside the zone was actually 54th percentile. So he's okay. actually kind of okay in that he's not he's not chasing at a bunch of junk. He just does have some problems with um with uh swinging and missing. I would assume just because he is looking when he he's doing the Mickey Mantle thing. When he swings, he's looking to just crush the ball. Yeah. And 344 Babip last year by the way. Okay, so not I thought it was even higher than that, but that is high and that's unsustainably high, especially for a guy. He's 42nd percentile in sprint speed. So actually not super slow for a catcher like usually catchers can be really on the low end of that. Uh, But you wouldn't expect a guy who's, you know, below average in speed to be able to uh, to put up huge babips year after year after year. So don't expect that to hold. His batting average is definitely going to come down. You're looking yeah. at a guy who's not going to hit for this kind of average because last year it was, yeah, 278. I think you're looking at hitters going to be more in the the 230 to 250 range um, in general, not up as high as he was last year. But a guy who can do serious, serious damage to the baseball um, and and isn't terrible about chasing it out of the zone. So those are definitely some huge things to be able to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. He's good. Uh, I would just um, point the one thing I would add since I'm always looking at platoon splits. Um, he is he's a righty, and he has I would say the normal kind of right-handed platoon splits where he is not helpless at all against right-handed pitching. He's still good, especially in, from a slugging perspective. But he absolutely destroys left-handed pitching. Has through his entire career. Has as a pro. Has in the minors. Um, and so. Um, is like that's what righty should be good against same side awesome against opposite that's what he is nothing weird here i'm sick of reverse platoon splits on the brewers and i'm nice i'm happy to see just a normal power hitter one pop up here so he's like he profiles to be a really good hitter it's just a good gets couldn't be happier yeah and when you combine this with you know the addition of jesse winker and and you know just overall, this this lineup's looking a lot better than it did a few weeks ago. I feel a lot better about the Brewers going forward after making this move as well. Mm-hmm. Well, really, James, they took their worst offensive position and they made it a strength. They it, not only is it yeah. 
Is it like good for catcher? It's now one of their better positions projection wise in the lineup period. Yeah. And that's even with Victor Caratini probably dragging it down a little bit. And William Contreras probably playing some DH, but we'll get there. Yep. Yep. We have some questions about that uh, coming up in the Twitter portion of the program too. All right. Next Patreon question from Brian Polakowski saying over under of a hundred, the number of times this podcast mixes up the Contreras <laughs> first names this season. Well, um, we're already on the board. So we, we got one. When, uh, so, so Paul, when the news broke, first of all, when, I, when the news broke, I thought someone was trying to do a prank and that it was Wilson Contreras and that <laughs> I had to go double check blue checks to make sure that somebody wasn't just being a jerk because it was also in the middle of Twitter blue check nonsense. And so I was like, well, that's funny. He just got he's a car, Cubs, Cardinals, now Brewers. Ha ha ha. But no, no, it was a different guy. Um, but uh, also, if you go to um, William Contreras's savant page, which you should have um, his his fourth closest hitting comp is actually Wilson Contreras. So also fun there. Um, and, and a good one to have because Wilson Contreras can rake. So, yeah, we'll make this mistake literally a billion times over the next five years. Yes. I still get Peralta's mixed up in my brain. So, uh-huh. you know, that that's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one, PJ Wessels. We got the better Contreras, right? Uh, so how does William <laughs> compare to Wilson, uh, Paul? Um, this is one of those questions where if you take money into account and age into account, it's not even close. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, you got the best one by far. Um, if you want to just consider them sort of raw, Wilson's probably the one you would have just because his track record is better, um, over a long sample size. But I mean, it's close enough that it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, they're about as good as each other, but will William brings, projectability, not being an old man, um, not getting hit in the arm 50 times a year, all kinds of good stuff. So, yes, William Contreras is by far the better Contreras. Yeah, I mean, it, that's exactly it, is because instead of having to give up, what was it, the uh, $80 million over five years to get yep. him, we gave up Esther Ruiz. So from that perspective, <laughs> what you had to give up to get the guy is just not anywhere close to, to comparable. And... Yes, the the track record of Wilson is has a better track record from that pure value standpoint. Yeah. But there's also some upside in William that we don't know exactly how good he might be, especially given that we now can work with him defensively. And you know, Charlie Green is a witch. the The man is a wizard. He is so good at turning poor defensive catchers into good defensive catchers. And I was surprised how much that came up in all the analysis that I read and listened to this week was everybody said, oh yeah, he's he's not a good defensive catcher, but he's also not terrible. And once the Brewers are done with him, he'll probably be good. So right. you look at that that upside there and that there's, there's things to work with um, tools-wise with him. And so I think that all of that, you take all of that into consideration and it's really just hard to see how this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, it's such a good fit. And even if it, and even if William Contreras bombs out and Esther Ruiz turns into a good, you know, like a four to five win outfielder, because he does start to hit the ball harder down the road for some reason that we at this point can't see. Even if that happens, it even isn't like a terrible thing for the Brewers unless all their outfielders 
or almost all of their outfielders like bomb out because they have so much depth at that position backing things up that Ruiz was like, you know, their fourth or fifth best outfield prospect. And so if, if another couple of those guys turn out to be quite good, you, even if Ruiz does turn out really good, you just don't miss, uh, uh, Ruiz's contribution because you probably okay at, at worst in the outfield. Absolutely. Charlie Green is a witch. He turned me into a newt. Um, <laughs> he turned Omar Narvaez into a, a good defensive catcher. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's really cool to see that that reputation is now knowable out there in the baseball world, too, right? Like, yes. oh, yeah, he can hit. He can't catch. The Brewers will fix that, and he'll be yep. awesome. Um, it, it's kind of really cool to see that on a national scale. Well, and a lot of people cited that it was um, – Manny Pena as part of that, because when Pena came in, he was yeah. not a, the reputation of a great defensive catcher and he turned himself into one or the Brewers helped turn him, turn himself into one when he was here. So him being part of this deal, granted, he didn't either come from or go to uh, the Brewers in the steal. He was you know, sent from uh, from Atlanta to Oakland to give them a catcher, which was just so weird, like that they would rather do that and have Ruiz, but whatever. We got to go on. <laughs> We do. All right. Uh, there's a few more Contreras questions coming up in a bit, but let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. The, it's not the only trade the Brewers made in the last week. Uh, they also acquired Owen Miller from Cleveland, and that leads us to a question from Michael Hank. Uh, Ryan, do you know where Owen Miller is from? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I was such a stick in the mud about this whole thing, but not really because it was, it was a bit much. My timeline for like an hour after that was just – Oh, Owen Miller, he's from Mequod and just nonstop for like an hour. And it, it got to be a bit much. It just it was it was a bit much. And I did. I, I have to say here that like the the big thing that I saw was I think from Matthew Pulliot was talking about how, well, uh, the the Guardians traded him away because I think it was the only way to get uh, uh, Francona to stop overplaying him. So when I heard that, I was like, uh, yeah, hmm. wonder how this is actually going to end up. But yes, uh, they they brought home Owen Miller in the second uh, fan service move of the week. <laughs> this is like uh, the final culmination of like all the years in the, the 2000s where everybody wanted the Brewers to get Eric Kinski, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. I, I remember that being a thing for a long time. And yeah, we love ourselves some Wisconsin natives and, and Jr. you know, does a great job tracking all the Wisconsin guys <laughs> in baseball, which there are a ton now. There are. Uh, that was cool to see. Uh, I know so much more about Dalton Varsho than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, yeah, Dalton Varsho now would be a, a super great fit for the Brewers. If And I know that Arizona was looking to potentially trade him because it would allow the Brewers to take and move around their uh, um, and, and use liberally, at least, uh, Victor Caratini off the bench uh, as a defensive replacement without worrying that like you'd be without a catcher because Varsho is he's not just a guy who can go and put on equipment and play catcher. He actually has some chops and can play and can start some games at catcher. Even if at this point he's primarily an outfielder, Yeah, but he would kind of perfectly fit this roster in a lot of ways because (laughs) they could use his left-handed power bat uh, in the outfield right now as well as a primary thing. 
So he would fit in a lot of ways, but I'm sure the ask is very, very high as it should be from on Arizona's end. So that yeah. probably doesn't happen, but uh, you know, Owen Miller is a useful player that he can play a bunch of different positions and uh, is at least within like shouting distance of an average bat, but you really don't want him. I know that, that Cleveland was using him some at first base, and that just is really out of profile because he's he's a below average hitter for any position, well below average for first base. And so I don't see I know people talked about maybe that he would be a guy who could play uh, on days that Rowdy is not playing yep. uh, over there like that came up. And I I just don't think you really want to do that all that much because I don't think he has the the overall bat profile that you want from like a backup first baseman. <laughs> yes, uh, he has the overall bat profile of a guy who has to be a backup because it's not good enough to be a starter. <laughs> Luckily, he has options, though, right? So uh, he's going to be, yeah, he's he's going to be uh, probably starting in Nashville, but we'll see where that heads up. Um, another question from Mark Podscarby on the topic of Owen Miller, and I guess uh, generally about defense. Uh, he's asking Owen Miller is in the ninety-first percentile for OAA outs above average, but was a negative point seven defensive WAR and negative one defensive runs saved. What would drive such a large variance between those? And to further my question, is Owen Miller a good defender? Because I can't seem to tell. <laughs> Paul, you want to take yes, this one? Yes, I first? can take this one. Uh, so uh, a few years ago now, 2020, um, Sean O'Rourke and Jonathan Judge uh, did a, a breakdown of the predictive value of all of the various defensive metrics across all of the various positions to figure out who does what well, who doesn't. Um, and the results are very clear, but also very confusing. I'll get to that in a minute. But to answer the question first, he is almost certainly a good defensive player because on all of the infield positions, outs above average is the winner on, on their predictive modeling contest. Um, worth noting, of course, prospectuses is FRAA, which did win across the board on outfield and actually won overall because it's so strong at predicting outfield defense. Um, but OAA was the best also by a, a good margin on all of the infield positions. So um, that those were the two winners. The funny thing about what they did is um, while those two were good at the extremes on the outfield and the infield, um, they both faltered under like DRS and uh, UZR um, sort of uh, as an average across all positions. And so it kind of depends on what you want to do in terms of which one you want to use. Oh, an RED. I forget about that one because I don't know anything about it. Um, but uh, the one thing you can be pretty certain on is if you're looking at infield defense, OAA is the way to go. And because that's what we're looking at here is infield defense, he's probably good. FRAA, great for outfield. Uh, and if you're just kind of looking across the board, all of the other ones are kind of better. <laughs> so um, I, I couldn't even tell you exactly why. I, I, I guess I actually can. Um, the ones that are averagey have an underlying methodology that covers baseball generally reasonably well. And FRAA and OAA, I think, are probably just going to specialize a little bit more, which means they give up some of the you know, some accuracy on the parts of outfield and infield difference that are distinct from one another. You know, they're very different positions. That's why outfielders and infielders can't just flip back and forth all the time. So there you go. Uh, answer in short, he's a good defender and uh, we have good metrics to show that's the case. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of it is fine. It's just it's really the offensive question mark of how oh, good yeah. can he be and how often are you going to get him out there? And I 
yeah, it, that is that is the main issue here. Uh, more than anything, is just how often do you want that bat in the lineup as opposed to defensively, where I think he is very useful. Yep, all bat here. That's the only problem. Problem, you know, the big problem. But <laughs> yeah, it is. It is really the issue. I mean, he is a career. Uh, yeah, I've got a zillion tabs open too. He's he's two thirty one, two eighty three, three thirty eight slash line. Blech. 77 OPS plus. He's just, you know, he's just a guy. Yeah. So offensively is is the question mark here. Sure. Um, another Owen Miller question comes from Adam Post this week asking, with the acquisition of Miller, the Brewers appear to have a bit of a surplus of backup or platoon infielders. Do you think the Brewers will deal any of them in a trade or will some spend portions of the season in the minors? So I mentioned Miller's got some options, but of course they also had uh, Eddie Alvarez. They signed to a minor league deal. You've got Bryce Terang hanging around there. Um, Mike Brasso, I believe, is still hanging around there too. So, um Ryan, let's start with you on this one. How do you see that shaking out and who makes the roster as opposed to starting the year in the minors? Well, I think that's going to be a camp battle. And this is one of those situations where it is actually fine to go into camp and say who's going to win the job out of camp is fine because the other guys will just go to the minors. You mentioned so Miller has two options. Brousseau has two options. Toro only has one, but they'll definitely use it this year. And so this is purely just a camp battle. You don't need to have everything sorted. Like in general, you want to have your roster mostly sorted out going into into training camp. But this can be a situation where it really is about like who just does well to open the year. And then the other guys are going to have to wait. And then it's it is it it becomes a meritocracy at that point. And players can't complain too much when it truly is like a meritocracy. Like if you play well, you you're up. If you don't play well, you're not up. So that that part of it, I think you just let it sort itself out because I don't think any of these players are huge impact. I would say Berceau offers the potential for a guy I would like hitting off the bench uh, as a, a platoon mate to either Rowdy or uh, at DH. He, like, he can fill in. I don't care. I just want him in the lineup. When he's in the big leagues, he needs to start on days when there is a left-handed starter because he does yeah. mash them and for power. So he has that thing going for him and also has some good defensive versatility. So I think he's sort of the leader of this group. He's the guy I feel best about in this group um, in terms of being able to offer something with the bat. And I think that that's really important in this case. So I think Brousseau is kind of the, the lead dog in that group at this point. And it's, I think that is accepting at this point that, if they don't do anything else, which I think they still will, I still think that there's other moves coming. But as it stands today, uh, and I, I sort of hold Terang separately. I think Terang, as things set up right now, is basically your your everyday starter at second base or, or close to it. I mean, maybe I guess he sits against uh, left-handed pitchers and then you jiggle some things around and you have Urias, you know, move over to second base or something like that. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's. It, I think Brousseau is sort of the best of that group at this point for me. I'd agree with that. And, I mean, a lot of these guys, uh, part of the question is trade, and all, every, all of these guys are throw-ins. That's how the Brewers acquired some of them, at least. Uh, but the options are the important thing. Like, they can shuttle back and forth pretty much everybody. Um, this is the spaghetti that we talk about all the time. The wall is AAA, 
and uh that's uh that's how that goes um i did want to mention on on toro really quick since we did um slander estuary ruiz earlier um uh abraham <laughs> toro is right there with him in terms of um exit velocity being super duper 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 low um and uh maybe not going to turn into a good bat ever for that reason there for defensive chops and see if they can fix him yeah Yep, absolutely. Oh, by the way, a live update. Uh, France has just scored two quick goals to tie. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So it is uh, – they had a penalty. I didn't see the what caused the penalty, but uh, uh, Mbappe buried the penalty. And then uh, Mbappe buried another goal. Like I looked over, and I'm like, are they showing a replay? Why is he celebrating? Nope, it was a second goal. So wow. Yeah, so we got ourselves a match in the World Cup final here. Nice. All right. Well, with that in mind, I'll try to fly through the rest of these questions. So you can catch it <laughs> I'm okay. I'm, I'm happy right. to answer questions. All right. On the topic of the infield depth and uh, maybe, you know, you, you mentioned Bryce Terang, likely, maybe, possibly, question mark, looking like the, the opening day starter at second base. But Andrew S. has another possibility here. Uh, Andrew's asking, would Gene Segura be a realistic free agent for the Brewers to look at signing? Um, you know, old friend, the decade ago was a main piece of, of the return for Zach Greinke. Uh Didn't quite work out, but he's made a nice major league career for himself, uh, you know, with the, the, the Mariners and the, and the Phillies most recently. So he's still out there and, you know, was a decent enough second baseman as a 32 year old last year. I guess, Paul, how do you feel about Gene Segura now? Um. It would be a fine depth play if there's mutual interest. It, it, I think Gene Segura is at the part of his career where he can maybe try and hack it out as a starter for a, a medium team going forward for medium money, or he can try and glom on to somebody for cheap, uh, be a good depth piece, and maybe try and get himself in the playoffs again. Um, but he's pretty good bat-wise for a middle infielder. I'm just not sure I trust him to really man the middle infield with much defensive uh, adeptness never his strength in the first place he's always been okay but not great um and he did uh, he did take a little bit of a step back with the bat last year too everybody did it's hard to contextualize it wasn't that bad um but uh it, i would say if they got him back it'd be fine it you know wouldn't be a big needle mover be kind of fun to have him back could break up my arrested development meme for him again but uh yeah it, it'd be all right I, i'd i'd be up for it if he is yeah, I think that's exactly where I am at here. It It is a matter of, does he want to come back to Milwaukee? I, he might have some bad association. He might. He might. Yeah. Not because of, you know, anything like fans or anything did, but just the way that that ended and the way that, you know, there's there's some probably pretty bitter memories for him associated with his personal life here. So I I don't know that he would want to. But I think they could carve out a role for him. And this is this is a key point of that idea that I brought up that the Rays are so big on. And now, obviously, we have a, a Rays disciple and Matt Arnold at the helm here. Optionality. You create a situation where you have everything kind of covered, but you can now take advantage of situations that fall into your lap, like the William Contreras thing did, uh, where you don't have to make a move, but you can if it makes sense. And so if if uh, Segura decides he would like to come to Milwaukee on a contract that the, the Brewers would like to give him, yeah, it, it's perfect. And they're in a situation where they can either take or leave somebody like Segura. They don't need him, but they could potentially use him as a, as a maybe a platoon upgrade, something where he would be involved 
it wouldn't be a pure platoon, obviously, because he's a right-hander and, and Terang is a lefty. But yeah. you could do some things with it to to uh, extract value there uh, as far as Segura goes if that's what he wants to do. Yep. Uh, I do want to point out a really underrated player for his career. Um, he's a 28-war B-war B player and a 30-war prospectus war. Like, that's really, really good. Um, not Hall of Fame, but it's, you know, w- one of those, like, um, not even almost Hall of Fame, but uh, well, well, well above what you get out of most people, most draft picks, most players for their careers. That's great. Yep, I think Brewers fans have a bad association and bad memory with him of because he was he was so rough for those last couple of years with the Brewers, but his career really has been a lot better than I think most probably realize. Yeah. Yeah, and he came up so young and was so raw too, right? And, and the Brewers kind of just threw him in there as, you know, Hey, look at our shiny new prospect that we got for <laughs> Zach Rinky, right? Even if he may not have been totally ready at that point. All right. Uh, let's shift gears. Look at the rest of the division because the Cubs have been busy. Um, aside from the stuff that you guys talked about last week, they've now uh, added Dansby Swanson after, you know, striking out on the four other top shortstops on the free agent market. But they, they got their guy in Dansby Swanson. So my only lemonade has a couple of Cubs questions here. Uh, first one is, so the Cubs settled for Swanson and seem to be keeping their powder dry until more money comes off the books next year, something like $70 million. Should the Brewers fa- should Brewers fans be afraid of the Cubs eventually going all Padres next year, Ryan? <laughs> I mean, a, a little bit. I think what you should really be afraid of with the Cubs is what they're trying to do here is turn themselves into like the Dodgers. They're trying to become a player development machine that can backfill things. And that was the failure of Theo. The, Theo's failure with the Cubs was that he didn't do that. Outside of that that great generation of players they had come up from like 2014, 2015, that era of guys, outside of that, they just didn't produce talent. They did not, and, th- and that was ultimately why they pulled the plug on what they were doing last year and they decided to trade away all those guys was they were getting older and they didn't have another core coming up behind them to supplement it. And so what they were going to end up with was a really expensive team that wasn't going to be very good within a few years. And so that's why they pulled the plug on it. And what they're trying to do now, and we don't know how successful it's going to be, is to become much better at that and trying to invest in that. That was one of Jed Hoyer's, when he got hired to replace Theo or promoted to replace Theo, was the mandate that was put on him was, we want to be more like that. And to be fair, that's what the Mets are also trying to do. They're trying to do this at the same time where they are, they're spending a ton of money up front right now, obviously. And then behind it, they're trying to turn into that player development machine. But that's really hard to do. And I don't know if anybody can quite do and replicate what the Dodgers have done. Like maybe you can get to the Yankees level because the Yankees do a pretty good job of this. But nobody is what the Dodgers are, which is they they routinely have one of the top farm systems in the game, despite the fact that they never pick high because they're always really good. So nobody has been able to do what the Dodgers have done. And I wouldn't suspect that the Cubs could either. But that's the actual scary idea here is that they could if, if they're able to bring in a wave of good young talent and they do have some talent 
in their minor league system now. If they were able to bring a big wave of, of homegrown, inexpensive talent and then supplement that with players like they're doing this year, that is what would truly be scary because what they lack right now is depth. They don't have roster depth uh, the way that, you know, teams like the Brewers have built around. They, they simply do not have that yet at this point. And if they have that, then the money starts to spend really well. And then you, you look at them being like a truly frightening team. Like they're still sort of on the fringes, in my opinion, in the division right now. They're not, they're not to the Brewers level at, at this point. I mean, yeah, they, I, I'm, I'm not sure the Cubs are very good at being a, a big market team. Um, they still need to do a lot of work on their development, but also like striking out on uh, getting Dansby Swanson is fine. Um, right. But it it really really looks like you um, you just settled you got beat and you settled for what was left and that's not always a good way to go it's a good way to overpay for non difference makers um, and they may have been better served to just sort of punt on big money at shortstop maybe try and uh, parlay some other positions together to form a better op- like it looks like a bad process to me like we need to get a shortstop we need to get a shortstop we need to get a shortstop uh, none of those worked here's who's left and. Uh, before I just move along from that, Dansby Swanson has posted an OPS plus over 100 twice. And in both instances, he had a, over 350 BABIP. Um, I'm not sure that you want to, uh, he, it's going to be his age 29 season. He's a shortstop. He's a good, but not great defensive player. In my opinion, I, some people think he's super awesome. I think he's fine. Um, I'm not sure that's smart money. Like, it's not like Dansby Swanson's going to be like an MVP candidate. Um, he was 12th last year. You consider that a candidate? Um, okay, fine. But I think that's as good as he'll ever be offensively. Um, and uh, I, I just, it seems like a dumb move that maybe even sets you back a little bit if you have a self imposed budget. So I'm not afraid of the Cubs until they show me a little bit better discipline or a little bit better process from their front office. I think their owner's kind of dumb and that impacts things quite a bit as well. Um, so not scared yet. We have the Cardinals to be scared of. We don't have to worry about them until they show some some actual metal at this. Yeah, at best, they're sort of on the fringes of the wild card race kind of in behind us. And that doesn't mean they couldn't finish ahead of the Brewers. But sure. at this point, the Brewers are the better team on paper. And the Cubs just don't have massive waves of prospect. Like their best prospect, Brennan Davis, had a batting average in the 100s this year. Like. It, they just are not having the kind of success with uh, player development that they need to have to become truly scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw lots of uh, Jeff Blauser comparisons for Dance, Dance Beat Swanson. Jeff and Blauser. They, they would have been uh, obviously a lot better served just splurging for Carlos Correa. Um, although, holy crap, the Giants with that contract too. But um, yeah, it, it does feel like Correa was the guy they were hyper focused on, right? And then when they struck out on him, it's like, like you yeah. said, Paul, oh, down to the next one on the list. And uh, yeah, maybe overpaid him there. Uh, but now the Braves are without a shortstop. So we'll see how that works out too. Um, my only lemonade had a second question about the Cubs, or as as they say, the stupid Cubs. Jason Hayward is one of the players coming off the books next year. I've sometimes wondered if Wrigley Field might be an issue for them when recruiting outfield free agents. Not only is it a non-dome stadium in Chicago, the perimeter of the outfield is literally a brick wall. <laughs> uh, 
Paul, you're you're in the area. Do you think Wrigley is actually kind of a detractor for some of those free agents? I never thought about it before. I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, I think everybody's pretty good about not crashing into the brick wall at this point. Um, it's it's one of the reasons that Wrigley has the basket. It, it prevents you from going back to jump up and rob home runs. And while that is kind of dumb because that's a fun play, it, that's why it is there. And it actually works pretty well. I actually can't think of the last time somebody really hurt themselves uh, on the brick wall. It's been, it's good, been a good five, six years at least. Ryan I can. To have one. When was, was it? it? Keon Broxton. It was Keon Broxton. Yeah. It was yeah. Keon. Okay. <laughs> at least, it, maybe it's happened since, and I don't know about it, but we don't have to go back further than 2018 and Keon Broxton. All right, all right. So it does happen. Um, but I, I, I doubt it's that big of a factor. Maybe it's a tiebreaker if you're an outfielder. Um, but they, they, they're pretty good about, I think I think any Cub outfielder that runs into it has no one but themselves to blame at this point. Um, it's it's well established how to play there, so I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, I'd be if I was um, going to the Cubs as any kind of power hitter, I'd actually be more worried about the fact that it's pretty hard to hit in Wrigley most of the time. It, it's a a very 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 um, all over the place stadium when the wind is blowing out. It is super easy to hit in. But that's like 10% of the time. Usually it is actually a big pitcher's park. It's very cold. The weather often is quite miserable. <laughs> um, that That's probably a bigger factor than anything else is. All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Steve DeRosier asking, who amongst the MKE tailgate crew is the best at dealing with online trolls? Steve says Ryan is very good at it. Anyone else? Um, <laughs> I mean, both of you uh, are good at uh, kind of, you know, quieting down well, have, uh, some folks but I have uh, less patience than ryan does for people yeah. so it depends on what your flavor of preference on troll arguing <laughs> is um but uh i i basically will just ask one question of do you really mean that and if they proceed then i just block them and move on with my life so <laughs> yes which you advised me to do but i was bored and i was having fun yeah. with that guy so that was that was a little entertaining uh but yes, as Steve has pointed out, I do like to try to convince the internet that they're wrong, and that seems like a very very silly of you. Waste yes. a, a waste of time. But you know, it it was entertaining to to see that guy just uh, like revolve around in circles. So that was that was amusing. I just don't have the emotional capacity these days to deal with with that. So I no. just kind of keep scrolling and move on with my day. Yeah, don't waste I, your time. I deal with enough uh, during the course of my re regular day. I don't need to get into arguments with people when I'm not at work. So, uh, all right, Twitter questions. We got one from Marcus S. Horton asking, the Brewers haven't spent any money in free agency so far. What is each of your predictions on what position Matt Arnold addresses first and who ends up being Arnold's first big signing? Uh, Ryan, let's, let's start with you on this one. The Owen Miller thing does make me think that, like, Justin Turner slash Brandon Drury is less likely. Yeah, uh, I don't think they do that without that, and I think that might be a mistake. But I, I think that that does at least shift it over to. I think they're going to spend on some sort of outfielder who can give them a little bit of uh, veteran uh, presence out there, as opposed to having to just start like at least one, if not two, rookies all the time out there. So I that probably does shift it a little bit in that direction. Uh, I don't know that it's Conforto. I know that that was suggested by Jay Google last week, and I do like Conforto, yeah. but they're looking for one of those Scott Boris specials where like, uh, it's like a three-year contract guaranteed on the Brewer's end, but he has like an opt-out after one, the way that, uh, say, the Twins 
uh, gave uh, Carlos Correa last yeah. year so that there would be protection for Conforto in the event that he sucks coming off these injuries. And uh, so there would be downside for the Brewers in making a move like that. And the upside would be limited because if he's really, really good, he'll just opt out and then hit free agent market again. So yep. probably not Conforto. Um, I think that that's probably true. I do still think there's a decent chance they get Turner just because they don't care about positions that much. Um, and I think he can probably still be had at a pretty good discount. I do wonder if they'll look at Will Myers as well. Um, just because he is a veteran outfielder who can play right cromulently, which is kind of nice. So that would be my other one, maybe that's out there, but I can forte also possible. So that was something that was suggested by Jay Google, and it does work from the perspective that you would have a platoon mate for Rowdy Telez. Yeah. you, he would be able to slide over and do that too. So there's some use there. I just don't think he's that good a hitter. And I, I don't either. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and that's kind of what I want here is I want a bat. Like, I think we have positionally covered things, and I think defensively we're fine. Like, from that perspective, what we need still is, like, another bat to lengthen the lineup. Uh, and I don't think Will Myers is that. So that's my that's my downside on that because Google brought that up with me as well. And I'm just, I kind of poo pooed it and was like, eh, I just don't see the bat being that useful. No, fair enough. He did, he did mash lefties last year as they all do. So mm-hmm. always a need for the Brewers as well. All right. Uh, next Twitter question comes from Steven Anderson asking about something we kind of referenced earlier when talking about William Contreras. Steven's asking, does the crew carry a third catcher? so that Contreras can DH against lefties. Uh, Paul, how do you see that shaping up? I don't think they will because it impacts both their versatility and their relief um, options to do so. Um, but I don't, they're, they're, they do maybe want the flexibility to move him around a little bit and get him in the lineup other ways. I I still think no, though. Just DH is like a bonus spot. You know, it, it, yes, you need somebody to go out there, but you don't need to actually carry a position that's the DH. Um, so I, I think two, but I don't I I would predict two. I would bet on two, but I wouldn't be that surprised if they kept another one around just to move guys around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there will be times during the year that they have three catchers on the roster. Of that, I have very little doubt. They, they yeah. had it at points last year when Severino came off his suspension. I think that it will happen, but it won't be often. And I think that his point here is well taken and why I was like kind of in the middle of the week uh, pushing up the idea of bringing in Varsho because that would really open up that possibility where now you have the coverage, you have enough, you know, a guy who can legitimately play catcher as the third guy that opens up that possibility. But realistically, like uh, I, I don't think you, you carry just a pure catcher uh, as the third guy very often. Yeah. All right. Next Twitter question comes from Vinny Cornels. It is prospect ranking season. Vinny just saw that Jackson Turio is ranked number 10 overall, according to MLB.com. Is there a chance, Ryan, he makes it to the bigs before Freilich or Weimer? Or is that still super aggressive? That would be super aggressive. So both Freilich and Weimer have had extensive success at AAA already. Jackson Churio was poor at AA this year. And granted, it was a very small sample, and he was probably you know, towards the end of his rope, exhausted, all of that, all of those caveats. But we have seen those guys, both Freilich and Weimer, hit really well at AAA. 
and Churio is two levels behind that, having not done shown anything really at AA yet. And he's also 19. So it would be really surprising if he if Churio somehow managed to beat one of those guys to the big leagues. It would be really surprising. Yeah. It's not impossible. Weird things do happen. But I think it would almost need to be like one of them suffered a serious injury and in AAA to start the year and then missed like this year for this to happen. Because I think both of those guys, Weimer and Freilich, are going to see big league at bats this year. Uh, I, I would bet on it that I think both of them, even though they're not on the 40, I think both of them do see big league at bats this year. And I think that that is still much less likely than a 50-50 for Churio. Yeah. 100% agree. And also, um, there's no reason, I mean, there's no reason to hurry along Churio while you have other good outfield prospects there. If, if this was like a situation where they had him and the only guy ahead of him was like, um, you know, Tyrone Taylor back in his AAA days, then maybe that's not what we're looking at here. Like you have useful potential major league players in front of him already. They're not going to start his clock earlier. I mean, Churio, I think will make the big leagues sooner than most prospects do because he is such a talented player, but the Brewers still aren't going to hurry him along just for the sake of hurrying him along. That's not how baseball teams operate. So no, that's not going to happen. And I do want to just clarify here real quick. This is still the last ranking that MLB did. They will have their top 100s coming out uh, in the m- coming month or two. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly yeah, sure. what their schedule is, but this is their their mid-year update from last year. This is not their current uh, their current ranking because that's the offseason ranking is still coming. Where do you think he'll end up there? Top three ish, sort of like Baseball America, or um, I think he comfortably in the top ten, uh, but not the the guys ahead of him on this list are really really good players, and they're all closer than he is. He is further away than any of these guys and significantly younger just looking at that top 10 right now. So I I think he does maybe move a little bit. I think his his problems in double A to end the year, even though it's a small sample, even though it's um, we shouldn't read too much into it. And James Anderson was very clear about that, that we shouldn't read too much into that. I think it as far as like as a tiebreaker for these guys who are all in the top 10 really, really talented players, I think as a tiebreaker, it works to like, okay, you're not going to move him down a tier because of it, but you maybe move him back within the tier he's in, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. You're no longer in Juan Soto debut as a 19 year old territory, right? You're, you're kind of cooled off on him a little bit. I mean, it, it still is possible, but he would have to come in for him to, to debut this year. He would need to hit the ground running in double A this year and absolutely murder the baseball. And that is possible. But like, I wouldn't necessarily bet that that it happens. The jump from a ball to double a is the biggest jump you make before you jump to the majors. Uh, it, it is a really big, uh, move up in terms of talent and it is normal for guys to struggle really talented players. Like some of the best players, it's really normal for them to struggle a bit making that transition. But, uh, you know, especially like age wise, doing it, trying to make that jump at 19, he will be like, if not the youngest, one of the youngest couple players in double A this year, uh, because you just don't see many 19 year olds making it that high. 
definitely. All right, uh, let's wrap things up. One last Twitter question comes from Chet Gristle. Uh Ryan, you asked for happy questions this week, so Chet's asking happy questions. Are we capable of that on Twitter or in life? Uh, so he's asking, what's everyone's favorite drink? Alcoholic, of course, as they are the only way to make one truly happy in life. Mine or Chet's is beer, specifically the Mongolian by Alley Cat Beer at the moment. Uh, Ryan, you're kind of a beer connoisseur. What have you tried lately that you really like? I mean, I'm just, I was just going to go with like my ultimate, like if they have this on tap at a place that I go to, I will order it because it's fantastic. And that's the King Sue from Toppling Goliath. Um, it's yep. incredible. It is the next step up after the pseudo Sue, which is much more commonly available. But the King, the King Sue is uh, it's King. So I'm a big IPA guy and I love me some King Sue. I'm not. Um, I like Saison's. Uh, Lift Bridge's uh, Farm Girl is widely available everywhere and a great Saison that you can get. It will not knock you on your butt. It's like 5% or so. So that's always uh, good. Um, and I'm a bourbon guy, but I don't really care what it is as long as it's not awful. So that too. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking at my liquor cabinet right now. Uh, not much of a bourbon guy. That that whole thing kind of passed me by. I do appreciate yeah. Rise from here, but big scotch. Scotch is my preferred, especially uh, you start getting into the uh, uh, the Isla scotches. And we went to that scotch tasting that one time. We and, did. We did. And enjoyed ourselves at that thoroughly. Yes, so, we did. I don't yeah. care for the peat, so I'm... Uh... That's my big distinction there. Right. You like the balance. I am a big fan of the peat. You give me something that's got that that heavy peated flavor. As long as there's some balance to it, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I am likewise not big on peat. I don't like to feel like I'm drinking wood chips. Tastes so. like the inside <laughs> of a coffin. Yeah. Uh, but I just think of Adam Scott in... Uh, 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 in Parks and Rec, when he's like trying to like wipe it off the log of Ula and trying to wipe it off his tongue, this is like, <laughs> oh my god, what did I just drink? <laughs> no, but I I do appreciate a good bourbon, a smooth bourbon. Um, I, I like Bullet a lot. That's my go-to as far as like a uh, decently priced stuff. That's uh, a good yeah, I'm yeah, a big so. fan of Bullet Rye, so yeah, that's a that's a go-to when I see that around. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that if, if it's not a, a beer, um, you know, and I've been I, I never really liked IPAs at the start, but they kind of grown on me. And of course, in Madison, that's the only thing you can really get. Everybody's <laughs> IPA crazy in Madison. So um, I, I've learned to like that. But yeah, somebody is my go to for somebody sure. needs to start making <clears throat> a good English bitter which is a beer you can't get anywhere anymore and is like my favorite actual kind. I, I have one friend who's a very good home brewer who makes that. That's actually my favorite beer. Um, Cam's English bitter that he makes. But uh, I would like it if somebody would start brewing that again. It's a it, is Boddington's considered an English bitter? It's not. It's not. It's, okay. a, it's a weird creamy. I don't know what it's. Boddington's is not that. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, because Boddington's has the nitrogen little canister in it so you get that the nitrogen which yeah. i do enjoy boddington i think it's fantastic i like boddington's but that's not what this is oh, right yeah no i know what the english bitter is i had some when i was over there and i enjoyed it thoroughly but yes it isn't something you generally find over here very much nope. all good stuff um and real quick before we go ryan i wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about the the little holiday match that we're we're running here as as we do every year um 
what do you have in terms of updates and in terms of what folks have sent you so far? At this point, what I see is that we're at $200. Um, we had a big donation from somebody who actually said specifically that he was doing it for the, uh, the William Contreras deal. That uh, that was his his celebration. So that's awesome. Uh, we are we are at that point, but remember, we are trying to get to five hundred dollars, and we will match up to five hundred dollars. And let's go past five hundred dollars. Let's let's go beyond that even. So, um, but we will match up to five hundred dollars of your donations. Uh, and there is a link. I will put it in the show notes, and I will put it on Patreon for everybody, where you don't even have to send us the receipt. If you use that link, we will automatically see it, and my guy over at uh, at Hunger Task Force will just update us on exactly what we're at um, that way. So you don't have to send us a receipt if you do that through the link that I provide on the show notes and Patreon for this episode. Really good stuff. And yeah, just something we're trying to do again to, to give back and, and say thank you to all of you who have, you know, given us the support, whether it's through Patreon dollars, you know, iTunes ratings, all that stuff. Um, you know, just want to kind of give back. It's the season of giving after all, right? And and uh, really goes to a good cause. So like Ryan said, uh, be sure to check the show notes when this podcast gets posted. We'll also put it up on the Patreon page. And uh, we've been tweeting it out to on the MKE tailgate Twitter accounts as well. So you can find the links there uh, if if you wish to donate or, and are able to. All right. Uh, on that note, as always, too, uh, before we go, if you do want to leave a rating and review for this podcast, uh, do it at Apple Podcasts. And Paul, as always, will read it. Literally anything you write in a review, if you give us five stars, it's still still the Gophers fan, right, Paul, is the, is the last one? It is so. still the Gophers fan, so you, you have a chance to do better, and you, you should. Please, please do. <laughs> please do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something celebrating the, the next four-star prospect that the Badgers were able to land, and hopefully he <laughs> ends up uh, better than Graham Mertz, right? So, yes. Uh, but yes, uh, please do go to Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review for us, help us crawl up those baseball podcast rankings. And while you're there, hit that subscribe or follow button, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Lots of uh, good stuff with the William Contreras trade. I feel good about the Brewers heading into the new year, which is uh, something I wasn't quite expecting uh, <laughs> this time last month. Let's just say that. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was a good to talk about that stuff good to see you guys right before the holidays uh we'll probably take next week's off next week off for christmas and holiday travel right so uh yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll pop back on if if something big happens but uh until then maybe uh see you in the new year or at least in a couple of weeks everybody thank you for listening have a good holiday season uh enjoy it with your your friends and family and we'll see you here next time on the walking Tailgate.